Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 375, Intentional Relationships Lead to Your Greatest Success with Randy Wilburn of Encourage, Build, Grow. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsor, RCAD, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at rcat.com. Randy Wilburn, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, how are you doing? It's good to be with you. I'm doing great, and I'm doing even better now that you're here. I, I am <laughs> looking for, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. You and I connected a few months back. We had a, a great conversation. We're very much on the same page with the things that we're oh, doing and, and why we're doing them. Um, and so I'm really excited about having you on the show here and introducing you to our community. Uh, before we do that, let me just introduce you. Uh, speaker, teacher, podcaster, and encourager, Randy Wilburn runs Encourage, Build, Grow, an agency that helps design firms with leadership development, communication, including audio branding and personal development. Uh, Randy is the founder of two different podcasts, the Encourage, Build, Grow podcast, helps design professionals like us become better leaders, better communicators, and ultimately better people. Uh, and the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast covers the intersection of business, culture, and entrepreneurship, and life in the Ozarks where he resides. Randy has produced 
or hosted 600 plus podcast episodes. Well, he blows, just blows me out of the water. That's almost twice what I've done. Uh, and I've done a lot. And so that's, that's a big number. Finally, he, uh, he's trained over 5,000 design professionals in two decades serving this industry. Randy believes that what engineers and architects do for a living is one of the essential services to our civilization. I agree. Uh, outside of our relationship with our fellow man and the natural environment, the built environment is the most important thing. And Randy, like I said, you and I are very much on the same uh, page here, very much uh, with the things that we're doing and why we're doing them. And so I'm really looking forward to this. But before we do that, I want to know your origin story. I want you to share uh, where did you discover the passion for what you do and who inspired you? What inspired you to become what you are today? Well, I, uh, I, first of all, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate this. I would say the, the easiest way to describe the relationship between you and I is like we're kindred spirits. There's something about the things that drive you that there's some of the same things that drive me and a lot of other people that are of our age. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about that before we started recording about midlife and what that means and for so many people. But, you know, real quickly about myself, I, um, I got involved with the design industry back in 97 when I met a, I met a guy named Mark Zweig. And a lot of people uh, familiar with your podcast obviously may or may not know of Mark Zweig. I always call him the, the design firm whisperer in terms of his <laughs> knowledge and skill set in this arena. Uh, I mean, the guy has been, um, I mean, I have personally uh, witnessed his uh, business acumen and advice and direction help several design firms grow uh, into multi, multi-million dollar operations. And I've always, you know, he and I became very fast friends from the moment that I joined Zweig White and Associates at the time back in 97. I quickly became an owner and stayed on until uh, we got acquired. And then I left and went off and did my own thing. And you know, I, I think, I think, you know, even before that, I had always had an interest in um, just being around people that were creatives. And, and, and I do see design professionals as creatives, right? Even though there's a lot of technical calculation uh, that goes into the work that uh, engineers and architects do. But I think it's just important to understand the, the, the foundation of that. And in and, and that is some creativity. But, you know, I, I got, you know, where I am now and where I was back then is, is a lot different. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I, I just it I just lately really discovered the thing that drove me and the thing that is my passion. And, and actually part of that is what we're doing right now, having this conversation in a podcast format. Um, I grew up in a household with an individual that um, had, was, a, was a very, very uh, strong journalist, uh, broadcast journalist. My grandfather was the first uh, black newscaster for ABC News, the network in 1962. Before wow. him, there, there were none. Um, so, you know, and, and honestly, before my grandfather, you did not see a black person on national TV reporting the news. So he got his big break in 1962 at the age of 54. Um, his, his real big break came when he broke the Cuban Missile Crisis story that third weekend in October in 1962 when, when John F. Kennedy uh, was trying to get Nikita Khrushchev to uh, turn those boats back around that were on their way <laughs> to, to Cuba. And, and honestly, I mean, I guess, you know, we, we may never know this, but that, that at the time they said that was the closest that we've ever come 
to nuclear war. Right. And, and certainly it was a very monumental event. But my grandfather that weekend was on the air doing live shots, special, special bulletins. Um, I want to say like 18 times, a total of like 36 times, including radio and TV. But uh, it was just it was just a different ball game back then because you had to, you just had the three channels. You had ABC, NBC and CBS. So nobody was getting their news from Fox or CNN or anything like that. So, you know, when people broke in on on the television back then in the early 60s, it was serious. And um, so that's kind of where, you know, that's kind of what where he got his start. And for 10 years from that time. He was 54 when he started with ABC News in 62. He was 64 when he retired in 1972. And in between that time, uh, he went on to cover the assassination of Malcolm X, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, assassination of Martin Luther King, covered Martin Luther King's funeral, did the first ever um, kind of like what we, what we now know as like a dateline or 2020. He did the first ever hour long program uh, on ABC News, and it was a story on it on the city of Atlanta, a city too busy to hate. And so he was, a, he did a lot of first, and he was also a mentor to, to um, Sam Donaldson, to Ted Koppel, and to Peter Jennings. So, you know, he had his hand uh, in, in helping a lot of people really become outstanding journalists. And, uh, and then he paved the way for African American journalists, of course. So I grew up around that. What that was, was what was his name, name, Randy? His name was Mal Good, G O O D E. People can look him up on Wikipedia. Um, my 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 mother and some of her siblings are in the process of trying to complete a book on. Uh, there's just so much. I mean, that, that would take up, a, I, I wouldn't have time on this, but we'd have to do a part two or part three to tell his story. And I'm, I'm partially yeah. working on that now in a book that I'm, I'm writing. I'm very curious bottom, about how, that, how he, how he ended up in the position that he was in because that's there's there's a lot of story before he uh, yeah no it's crazy it's 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 totally crazy it really is crazy and 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 again um at that time in that day and age um a, a lot different than today although you wouldn't know it um it was much more difficult for you know for african americans to to make headway in in any industry let alone an industry that is dominated by um, individual, uh, you know, by being on TV or, you know, and doing all that. And so he was at, at an age where most people in, in journalism, broadcast journalism at 54, are thinking about retiring. Um, they're either a little long in the tooth. I mean, you know, nowadays they get rid of talking heads pretty quickly because it is a young person's game. But my grandfather at that time never let age get in the way of him uh, doing what he thought he was called to do. And in prior to him being at ABC, he, he and his sister had the first brother sister radio show, uh, African American brother sister radio show in the country. Um, and then prior to that, he was a writer for the Pittsburgh Courier, which at the time, you know, and I try to explain this to people back in the 20s, 30s and 40s, you know, there were always, you know, it's some newspaper, some cities had multiple newspapers, um, some would have a morning and an afternoon edition. And then most cities that had a, a fairly large black population had a black newspaper. So you've got the Baltimore Sun, you've got the, uh, the, the Chicago Defender, the Amsterdam News in New York City, you've got the Pittsburgh Courier. The Pittsburgh Courier was considered the, the cream of the crop when it came to black newspapers. And um, there were several amazing writers at the Pittsburgh Courier, my grandfather being one of them. And there was another writer at the Pittsburgh Courier that, that covered Jackie Robinson on his rise into, um, into the major leagues. 
And, uh, and so my grandfather used to cover the Negro leagues and, you know, he had all these ball players coming to his house in Pittsburgh. And, you know, my mom would tell me stories about Willie, Willie Mays coming to the house for dinner and Jackie Robinson and, and, uh, 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 Satchel Paige, James Cool, Papa Bell. I mean, all these like amazing iconic figures in baseball would come to the house there in Pittsburgh and, in, in, uh, in, um, Belmar gardens and, and sit down and have dinner at my grandmother's table after, you know, a, a, um, after a game at Ebbets field there in, um, uh, at no, it's not Ebbets field. It's uh, Forbes field in uh, Pittsburgh. And, uh, and so, you know, it's just, that was the, that was the environment that he was in and he was a part of. And what I didn't tell you about the whole ABC news thing, cause you're wondering, well, how did this guy in Pittsburgh end up in New York city? Well, it was Jackie Robinson who told, uh, that Dan Haggerty, who was the head of ABC news, uh, you know, he said, you should hire, you need to hire a black person. And, 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 and he was like, well, we've been thinking about it, but we don't know who we're going to hire. And so they brought in over 40 people to, to um, audition for this one position. And my grandfather beat out 40 other people. Most of them were much younger than him. Um, but Jackie Robinson, who was a good friend of my grandfather's, was actually the person that referred my grandfather to, to Jim Haggerty at, um, at ABC News. So it's kind of like one trailblazer made a way for another right. trailblazer, yeah. which, which I think is really important because it speaks volumes. And I always, whenever I tell this story, I, I also kind of break down the idea that, you know, we're, the relationships matter, right? And, and it's something that I've always told people in, in, the, in the design space is that, you know, when I think of, when I talk to engineers and architects and, you know, I talk to them about their relationship with their clients and the relationship with other people on their team and, and why are things fragmented within the organization because of a lack of communication, a lack of trust, it all boils down to relationships. And when you, when you have strong relationships, it, it opens the door for so many other opportunities and options. And, you know, because my grandfather was such a giving person and always open to give advice because he was older than a lot of these, you know, star athletes. And it was constantly giving them advice and guidance. And, you know, and I mean, he would tell me stories about like, he used to, he used to walk Roberto Clemente through all these different things that Roberto was trying to do. And I mean, you got to think about these, some of the most talented people to ever play the game. And, uh, and, and yet they were like children at his uh, dining room table yeah. with, with nothing but questions with nothing, but, you know, just, you know, they were just pulling on him for, for advice and, and guidance and wisdom because they really weren't getting anywhere else. And, and um, so he, he kind of took up that mantle and ran with it. And uh, he was always that older, sagely uh, wise owl, if you will, that, um, that always had never, I mean, he never had a, a crossword to give anyone. And he always had a word of encouragement coming out of his mouth. It was never, you can't do it. It was always, okay, you can do that and this. And, you know, I can always remember the refrain that I would always hear my grandfather say, which was, um, you know, you're no better than anybody else and nobody else is better than you. Now go out and prove it. And, and essentially that was his way of saying, hey, there, there's an even playing field here. And I don't care what, whether you're black or white or whatever, you've got the opportunity to make the most of it. And he lived that. And that was always something that, that has stayed with me since, since that time. Um, but, but I have him to thank for a lot of the, the, for the reason why I'm at this place. I mean, I, at one time I thought I was going to follow in his footsteps. I did work at ABC news. I worked at nightline. I broke a lot of stories with nightline. I had a lot of experience with world world news tonight. So I cut my teeth in that industry 
But you know, Mark, the thing that I realized was that I, I wasn't, I don't know that I was cut out to, I, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to get married and, you know, the news cycle is crazy. I mean, it's even crazier now. I can only imagine what it'd be like, but in, oh. in, the, in the mid nineties, before I joined Zwei Group, I was in, I gave up a, a tremendous opportunity that I had to go to New York to work for ABC News to move to Boston. And that's ultimately how I ended up at Zwei Group. But the long story short is that um, the news cycle, I, I remember the last big story I worked on at, at, I was in the desk at ABC News in Washington, DC. And um, that was when, uh, when Princess Diana died. And that really, I mean, I remember working three days straight and I kept, and that was right at the time when they were calling me from New York saying, are you coming up here? We've got this position for you. Uh, I was going to cover the news out of New York City for all the O&Os, which are owned and operated by ABC networks. And those are all of the television stations around the country, the local TV stations that are actually owned by ABC corporate. And there were several, several of them all over, including the flagship flagship station in New York City, WABC, which is Channel 7 there in New York City, for those that are familiar with the area. But the long and short of it was I decided not to. And it was that that it was that experience with Princess Diana, because I, I remember I like literally worked for three days straight. And not that I didn't enjoy it, but I was like, man, if, if I do this, I, I, you know, I might miss out on something else. And at the time, I know a lot of people say, well, why would you give that up? But I just did. And I, I, I have three beautiful boys and a, and, a, and a wonderful wife of 20 years now to show for it. So I didn't miss out. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it wasn't until later that I realized what one of my real callings was. And that's kind of what we're doing now is having this conversation via podcast and, you know, doing this whole um, kind of moving in this whole direction of, of voice and, and, and kind of sharing and telling my story and, 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 and have, and creating a forum and a platform for other people to share their stories, just like what you've done with your podcast. I mean, I think it's important and, you know, it's the fuel, honestly, that I believe keeps things moving forward, right? Because I, I know that people listen to your podcast, um, you know, design firm leaders that listen to your podcast, that really uh, it, it becomes foundation for them and helps them as they continue to grow and informs them as they go out and, and come up with new ideas on things that they want to do. So I just think it's all interrelated. And I'm, I'm just thankful that I'm in this place now and I'm able to do that. And you know, again, back to the whole relationship thing, as I've always told design firm professionals is, is that, you know, uh, friends don't fire friends. Um, and so you have to get to a place where you have a real relationship with your client. And, and that's why I think it's the relationship thing is so important. You cannot be superficial in that area. You cannot be transactional. A transactional mindset in the design industry will kill you. And that's one of the reasons why design firm design firms don't hold up their value the way that they should, the way that say lawyers do and other, other service industries. And so, and it's the same, we have this conversation every year, whenever I go to Zweig's conferences and we talk, or I talk to design firm professionals, you know, that are always underselling themselves or, you know, never, you know, or, or just giving away everything, which I get it. But at the same time, you still have to put, you know, food on the table. You've got, you know, you have to make, take care of all of your people. And I think that uh, there's so much upside and opportunity for design firm professionals and design firm leaders and firm owners um, that, that they have to just kind of just change their mindset and thinking when it comes to um, when it, when it comes to how they operate their business and, and more importantly, how they go out and develop relationships every top person on down 
needs to be strong development. And it just, um, it just, it, it is just the only thing that you can do. I mean, if you don't do that, you miss out on so many other opportunities. And I look at the design firm leaders that are huge in, in the whole relationship space and relationship area. And they're the ones that are actually succeeding right now. As a matter of fact, they're eating a lot of their peers lunch because some people are just, you know, purely tactical or technical, but they don't have the other side of it, which, which I believe is the, that high touch, that ability to really build relationships, to build credibility from that perspective, to be empathetic to the plight of their client and empathetic to the plight of the people that are working under them, right? Because you can't be a successful design firm without having successful people. It's not one great leader and then everybody else is just calling it by the wayside. Everybody's got to be all in and you can't, you, to a man or a woman on your team, they can't be all in unless they can catch a whiff of the vision. And as a leader, if you don't share that vision with them and really kind of bring them along with you, then, um, you know, you miss out on a tremendous opportunity to grow your organization. And I know I just moved into a couple of different areas there, but, <laughs> but the whole relationship piece is huge. And I, I think I, I, it's the one thing that I don't see firms, um, you know, it's a lot of that soft stuff that we don't really we don't look at as the end all be all for how we should run our firms. And so we don't focus on it. It's one of the reasons why design firms don't spend as much money as they should on professional and personal development within their organizations. It's a, it's an afterthought. It really yeah. is. I think Mark said at one time, it's like one half of 1% of the gross revenues of a design firm are spent on professional and personal <laughs> development. I think it's absolutely ludicrous. Um, because you, you need to be in a place where you create an opportunity to really build leaders and you can't build leaders without personally and professionally developing these folks on a regular basis and not leaving it, to, leaving them to their own devices to do that. Um, and that's, that's the difference. And every firm that I've worked with in this space over the last two decades that has been hyper successful really successful has been, has taken it upon themselves to really make sure that they are developing themselves, uh, developing everyone on their team, both personally and professionally. And it's, it's only become even more so critical nowadays than it was even in the late nineties when I first got in this space. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsor, Arcat. As more businesses and tenants demand green design in their buildings, LEED certification is more important than ever. And while RCAT is known for being red, you know, with their big red A, they can help you go green. RCAT provides thousands of LEED reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help you make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to RCAT.com and find the information you need for LEED. RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Please visit RCAT today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. When you say relationship, do you mean friendship or do you just mean inter interpersonal communication? I, yeah, when I say relationship, I, it, it, it can mean a lot of things. I, I mean, I, I genuinely like working with the people that I connect with, even the people that are clients, meaning that I check in with people. So for me, a relationship is me, you know, I have your cell, 
I reach out to you from time to time without any request or any ask just to check in and see how you're doing. And it's not just on Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving, but it's more of a, hey, let's have a conversation. How are you doing? And I know them enough to the point where I can talk to them about their family. I can ask them questions about how everyone is doing when issues come up. You know, you know, you know somebody when they're notifying you about, you know, different life happenings in their family and things of that nature, or by the way, I'm moving and all this other stuff. So I just, that's, that's what I mean by relationships. So it's more amorphous than just any one specific thing. I just think that relationships are everything. And, and, and every, you know, every book that I've read, when I look at really hyper successful or really highly successful people, um, a lot of them are successful because of the relationships that they have been able to forge um, I mean, some obviously go at it alone. I'm just not a lone wolf type of person. And, and uh, I, I've always been better around other people. And I thrive off of that. And what I have encouraged, especially folks in the design space to do is to, is to get out of their comfort zone and really go out and start developing relationships, both with the people that are obviously on your team. That's where you start. But then it's also really knowing your clients. And I, I, I quiz my clients all the time. Hey, I, do you, I mean, who are your top four clients? Okay, great. What are their wife's names or what are their spouse's names? Do they have kids? What do their kids like to do? I mean, it's, it gets into that. I mean, I have, I have several friends um, you know, I, and I call them friends that are clients that, you know, I know what their kids do. I know the sports they play. I'm always checking on them, on those kids that, you know, there's some, I have, I have a couple of clients that have uh, kids that do travel soccer, like my son does, or travel hockey and all this other stuff. So, I mean, that stuff is, it, it matters, right? Because, I mean, you're getting in. have more than just a conversation about work and 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 then what happens is is that you really build a relationship with these folks that you know will span the test of time because i i still have friends that i made when i first joined so i grew back in the 90s and i was recruiting for carter and burgess which at the time was they're not part of jacobs but they were a very large well they were a growing design uh civil design firm out of uh, fort worth texas that a man named jerry allen just you know, he blew them up over the time that I started working with them. They were, went from 600 people to about three, almost 3000 before they were subsumed by Jacobs, um, you know, several years ago after Jake, after Jerry died, but, but, but during his helm. And while I worked there, I, I built a lot of strong relationships that I still have to this day. Matter of fact, one of, one of the hiring managers that I worked with in the nineties just called me out of the blue. We talk like once or twice a year and I check in on how he and his family are doing, but just called me out of the blue to check on me, see how things are doing. And he had some questions he needed some help with. And that, that to me is, is, is priceless. And I think that's why we do things. And, and, and so I would rather, I would much rather do things with a smaller subset of clients on a purely relationship basis than make it just transactional. Um, because I think we're selling more than widgets here. And, and how do we do that? When I, when I spoke with Gene Cohn of KPF, Cohn, Peterson, Fox, he said he built KPF on relationships. He said the same thing you said. That's how they built KPF to this day. And they teach it within the firm. It's part of their culture. Yeah. Um, so how the people who are listening are hearing you saying, okay, I need to build a relation, which is why I asked what's the difference between a friendship and a relationship. Yeah. Um, because when I was a young architect, I resisted becoming friends with my clients because I was afraid that I would get too close with them. Right? right. But as I got older, I realized that's a huge opportunity to become it friends is. with your clients because not only will they bring in additional work, but they'll refer you and they'll help you and they'll grow and they'll, they'll be a, a little bit more 
uh, lenient if things go wrong, right? There's so Absolutely. many advantages to that. How, yeah. how do you do it without doing it uh, superficially or, or in, uh, un, unauthentically? Yeah, you know, and that's a, that's a really good question. I, and I think firm leaders need to encourage that. Well, first of all, firm leaders need to model it. And part of modeling it is just saying to them, you know, there are multiple different ways. Um, I follow a guy named uh, Jordan Harbinger. He's actually a friend of mine and he's a, a fellow, fellow podcaster. And he, yep. you know, he does this whole thing on, on connection and, and building relationships. So he's, he teaches this whole model of just, you know, reaching out to people, five people a day. You just connect with them via text to see how they're doing. You keep it really short. You stay connected with them um, because you never want to, you know, when it's raining, you need a raincoat, but you want to be, even before it rains, you want to prepare that, you know, there's going to come a time when, when it, it will rain and, and that things won't be as, as great or won't be sunny the way that it might be right now. And so you always have to be preparing for the future and, and, con and, and priming that pump, as I like to say, and building those relationships. So I think it's important for you to kind of be intentional is the best way, way that I can describe it where, you know, I, I follow his method, but I also just, I mean, it was something I was doing anyway. He just put more structure to it where it was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to these five people. And it's, it's simply just, Hey, just checking in to see how you're doing. How's life. Obviously during the pandemic, I've reached out to so many people and it's actually allowed me to re to reconnect with some folks that I had kind of just, you know, it's life happens, right. And whether you have a new child or, you know, you're working on multiple projects that kind of take you out of the, the normal swing of things, um, you know, you can always reconnect with folks. And especially if it's not about something, it's just checking in. People like to be checked in on. Um, I know I like getting those text messages from time to time from people. It's like, hey, you were on my mind. I was just thinking about you. Hope all is well. Hope the family's good. Um, you know, we need to catch up soon. And, and that's important. And, and again, it's not because it's a quid pro quo, right? I do it for you. So you do it back to me. It's one of those things where you just, just kind of, you're just doing it. And over time, as you build that momentum, uh, you'll, you'll find that it becomes easier and more natural for you to just reach out and connect with folks just to see how they're doing. So I would say that design firm leaders, design firm owners would want to encourage that type of uh, engagement with their younger people and model it for them and show them what it means to do that and how you do it within your organization, right? So you take your project managers, your APMs and your senior project managers, and you want to encourage that on their project management teams. It's one of the reasons why we always see a lot of problems within uh, project teams is because the, the lead of the project is so hyper-focused on the work that about who's actually doing the work. And, and, and that's, and it's like, well, what, do, you know, you got to get back to I me. Mean, there's, you can't do it by yourself, project managers. So you've got to have other people. And if you're not checking in on them to see if they're okay, then you miss out. So you, you use that as kind of like a litmus test to, to start practicing that. Then what you do, especially at a, at a, at, you know, what, what I'm always telling design firm leaders is to allow even your youngest people to have some type of rapport or connection with the client, because that's how they start to build that up. So you teach it to them, you show them, you model it and how you do it. And then you encourage them that, hey, you know, there's a peer just like you on the other side of this coin that works for the client. And we want, we want you to keep in touch with the client. We want you to keep in touch with that peer that may be one or two 
people removed from the, the head guy or head gal that's running that organization and what they're doing. And it just, it just makes, it creates for an opportunity. And especially when you have those kickoff meetings and you get to go meet with the client that you want to bring some of your people so that you can do that. And then they can get in there and start to meet folks and build connections. Cause it's, it's always something to get that, that young designer uh, guy or gal in there to see the client because invariably one day that client will either retire or move on and somebody else will take their place. And if you've have, if you already have a relationship with them, it's much easier transition for you to continue to re- continue to maintain that relationship um, from one organization to another. But I, I just think, again, I think it's, it's more intentionality. You just have to do it and leaders have to practice it and model it for the younger folks, because I don't see, I mean, I think younger people are doing it now to a certain extent, but I also think that social media is, is not, I don't look at that as true, real granular relationship. Right. It's just not. Um, and, you know, I watched that. So I don't know if you saw Social Dilemma on Netflix. Not yet. Was, Everybody keeps referring. Man, that was highly disturbing. But, but, it, but it also proves the point that we need to get back to the physical, the physical nature of connecting with people verbally, um, emotionally, and, and, you know, in person. And what that does for us as human beings. I mean, we, we, we weren't wired the way that we are being forced into right now with regard to um, the, the way that we're, 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 we're being forced into communicating with people and it's false. And, and, and so, you know, while there are good aspects of it, like I think texting is great because it allows you that ability just real quickly to shoot out a message and checking with someone without physically getting on the phone and calling them. But at some point that should follow up with a call at right. some point that should follow up with some other kind of content some other kind of touch or connection that allows you to, um, you know, to really, uh, really kind of develop that relationship, but it takes time. No relationship happens overnight. Um, and, and that's why I say that, that that's why I always say that, that friends don't fire friends, right? Because if you do have a, if I'm truly a friend of yours and we have a relationship, then it's not, then nothing that we do is ever transactional. You know, because, uh, you know, my goals are, are in line with your goals, even if we haven't connected in a while, because we're, you know, we're on the same page as far as the relationship, as far as the communication that we have with each other. But I just think that there are little things that we can do and we can leverage some of that technology that I just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, without going overboard. Because I think sometimes people create this false sense of relationship building through Twitter, through LinkedIn. I take everything that I do uh, virtually in a, in a, in a social media sense, I take it offline as quickly as I can so that I can have a real conversation Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't work any other way. It needs to be part of it, but it can't be the only piece because you definitely build relationships through the internet, right? Through through Twitter, through, through Facebook. I have friends like our legit friends who I've never met. Right. right. No, no. Right. Yeah. But, but we, you, you may have never met them, but I'm pretty sure you've probably talked to them on the phone. Right. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So at least you have that going and that's like the next closest thing to physically being in front of somebody. Uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I have made connections with people all over the world um, that, that I have befriended through LinkedIn. People have reached out to me whenever yeah. I've done a talk. So yeah, I, I make it a point to do that. And I make it a point to do a couple of things. One is I get their cell. I put it in, in my, in my phone. I always put then under the notes section for the contact where we originally met. And that's yep. kind of like a, like a, that's like a communication one-on-one type of thing, you know, or, or what's the, um, 
what's the uh, what's the book that everybody uh, Dale Carnegie course? I mean, you know, I was like how to win friends. Like, yeah, how people. to win friends, win friends, and influence people. That's like one hundred and one. That's some of the things that you do. But you know, always want to remind how you really originally connected. You want to get their information, and then you want to you know you want to stay connected with them that way. But I always follow it with a phone call. Um, whenever I go to these events, it's a lot of work. I know, I get it. It's a lot of work, and there are a lot of design professionals that that tend to um, like to look inward as opposed to outward, but you've got to get out of your shell and you've got to get in front of folks. You've got to have that FaceTime. And that's, that's actually the, one of the beautiful things about Zoom. I, I, will, I will shoot to have a Zoom conversation in a heartbeat, just like what we're doing yeah, right now. Me too. Um, I'll, I'll shoot to have that because to me, it's like the next best thing, right? I don't talk so, to anybody on the phone anymore. No, no. Everything I want to see, see your eyes. Exactly. And yep. I've got a whole setup here and, and, and it's just, it's just, it's just nice, but I, I certainly uh, make it a point to do that. And it really makes a big difference for me. And, and I think, you know, there are, I mean, there are some silver linings in this pandemic uh, that we're in. Cause at the time of recording this, we're, you know, we are uh, un unfortunately we're at the inauspicious uh, time where we've seen 200,000 people in the United States die from COVID-19, which is really terrible. But I also think that there are some, there's some, uh, there are some silver linings that have come out of this. And I think people are, are learning a different way to communicate and connect with folks when you can't do it in person. Yeah. And, and certainly what we're doing through this zoom conversation is one of them. And I think it, um, you know, it, it, it will open the door for other interactions that I think are going to be very positive in the future. So, um, you know, you got to kind of take the good with the bad. Yeah, I think th I think there's there are many, many things that that will come from this that will be positive. And that happens in every crisis and every every disaster. There's always positivity that comes out of those things. Uh, but I want to just get I want to get back to the, the relationship and the structure, because I think a lot of our, our listeners and our and uh, architects in general, tend to, they don't resist, but it's hard for them to make those contacts, to reach out to them. Yeah. And the thing that I wanna just remind them of what you just said is that is that they need to be intentional about it. They need to create a structure, a system, right? That yep. here's what I do. I am going to connect with X number of people on a weekly basis every week, right? I'm gonna pick these five people. I'm going to intentionally connect with them in this very specific way. Uh, five times a week or whatever, whatever the, whatever the system is that ultimately, if you do that over and over again, it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, then it becomes internalized and it then becomes who you are. And then you become that person who reaches out to people and connects with people and starts to build these relationships. So it's, it's not, it's not false or, um, inauthentic upfront. It's just structured. It's a mm -hmm. way for you to start developing yourself as a, as a, as a communicator. And then uh, as you do it in your brain, those synapses will start connecting and the neurons will start firing and it, you'll start building habits and those habits will become who you are legitimately for real. Yeah. Second nature. And, and as I like to say, um, you know, the great Navy SEAL Jocko Willink always talks about how, how important discipline is. If you can be disciplined in that area, you know, Jocko says discipline equals freedom. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why he gets up so early un at an ungodly hour of the morning. And I, I get up early too. I don't get up as early as he does, but you know, he basically says that you know before by by eight or nine a.m. I've I've done so much, 
And he said that, that, that discipline of getting up first thing in the morning provides a level of freedom for me that most people just don't have. And in the same way, if you are disciplined in this area of just going out and connecting with people, and again, it's not going to be everybody. I get it. I, I'm all over the country. I know a lot of people. I've got thousands of people I'm connected with on LinkedIn. I'm not suggesting that every person listening to this, especially design professionals, that you've got to go out and create all those relationships. But I mean, even the small ones, you're only going to have um, a small group of, of people that you're connected with anyway. It was, it's, I forget what the window is, but it's like 150 people. So if you can manage that, I think you can, you're doing something. And, and then of course, you're always going to have those outliers that, that are, uh, that are much larger than that, you know, and I, I'm thinking of people like Ozzie Nelson and, you know, and other professionals that, you know, are so well connected throughout the industry and have, have built strong, you know, long relationships with, so many different people that they can call on hundreds of or, or hundreds of people, if not thousands, that they can connect with and that over the course of their career, they've, they've been connected with. And these individuals have informed how they have operated, how they have performed within the design space. You know, everybody's not going to be able to do that, but you still can can connect with, you know, that, you know, a, a core group of people and build upon that and add a few and earlier that habit to create that muscle starts to you know the tissue start breaking and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and before you know it right. you look back and like man i only had a few people that i was connected with now i've just got a you know i've got a, and i'm going to date myself now i've got a rolodex full of people <laughs> so you know i mean it just it makes a huge difference i know some young people listening to this like what what's a rolodex but um look it up but yeah you know what i'm talking about so, google it yeah look it up absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, so Randy, I, and I think that, that this, this thing that we're talking about with relationships and building relationships with people now in the time of COVID now, as the economy starts to shrink from effects from the lockdown now more than ever, right now, more than ever, this is an important thing that we need to do. It's, it is just one tool in your toolbox, right. In order to continue to grow, uh, yeah. but it's an important one. Yeah, it, it, it literally is just one tool. It's never going to help you be a better designer. It will help you be a better person. And to me, um, I like working around people that I like legitimately. And you guys, everybody listening to this knows what it's like to go into a meeting with a client that you can't stand to be around. Mm -hmm. And they treat you as if you're an order taker and you're just doing their bidding to get this project done. And, you know, they, they wouldn't stay with you any longer than the end of this project. You understand that, you know what that's like, but then there's also those opportunities or chances where you, where you work with somebody, you work alongside somebody where it's almost like, man, we're like one big family. Yes, we're the, yes, we are the designer, we're providing the service and that's our client. But, you know, there's something about it that when we work together, it just, everything just gels and comes together. I mean, why can't we have more of a work environment like that than one that's more adversarial? It should never be that way, especially for a profession where creativity is at the heart of everything that we do. And the, and the more, the more relationships you build like that, those relationships lead to other relationships that are oh, similar. Yeah. Listen, I get calls from people that don't know me from Adam, but know somebody that knows me 
like Adam and they're like, oh, you know, uh, I talked to so-and-so and they told me I should call you because they said you could help me out or, you know, and, and so that, that, that goes without saying. And, and I would encourage people to, to become more involved from that perspective because that will, that will definitely help you to, um, you know, to kind of, you know, build whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to build, you can build it that way. And, you know, word of mouth, um, making those connections with people and building it over time. You just never know who's talking about you. And that's, and it's funny now, I mean, I'm at a place now where, you know, I don't, and I was telling you earlier, I was, uh, I'm in the process of preparing for a TEDx TED talk and I, I didn't want to ask to be on TED. I mean, some people that are on TED, you know, they really push to get on TED and to do a TED talk. And I kept, I always said, I'm going to just have people come to me. And, and sure enough, it ultimately did happen. And it was, it was simply some, several people referred us to you and said, you would be great to do a TED talk. And so I'm doing one for TED, TEDx Fayetteville here in Arkansas. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, it's just like with anything. I mean, if you, you, you set the standard for who you are, you have to know and be really strong and resolute in yourself know your skill set, know what you're capable of, what you're good at. And, and, and especially in those areas that you're not good at, you got to work on those. Cause these are things that I've done. Like I always tell design professionals and I do a lot of speaking for ACEC and AIA where I've helped them kind of develop their ability to communicate and to know who your audience is so that, you know, you don't have to be hamstrung by the fact that when, you know, I didn't take any public speaking classes or I didn't go to, um, uh, Toastmasters or anything like that. And I always tell design professionals, you can become a great speaker. It just takes time. And what you see now in front of you, as far as I'm concerned, as far as me, that, that didn't happen overnight. That took right. time. I, I mean, I, I put that took years. Now there, there may be some things about what I do and, and how I do it. And the fact that I have no fear of getting in front of an audience that's something that I got a long time ago, but for, for most people that, you know, actually public speaking is, you know, they fear it more than death. So it's one of those things where people say, well, I could never do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can. It's really not as hard as you think it is. You just have to you know, like slowly build and methodically develop the talent and that skill set. And before you know it, all of that great stuff that you know about the design profession, about your, your particular area of expertise, um, you know, the world is waiting to hear about it. And the minute that you get more comfortable sharing your story, talking about what you do, the work that you do that matters so much to you, and just your ideas around design, right? Um, you know, I, I pull stuff out of architects and engineers and they share it. And I'm like, man, you need to be sharing that to a wider audience. And they're like, yeah, but I don't, I'm afraid to, yeah. you know, and I'm like, well, we got to get you past that. Because I think a lot of, and I talk to a lot of young architects and I mean, some of these, these young kids that are coming out of school, some of these Gen Z architects that are just coming out are absolutely flat out brilliant, but they're hamstrung because they, they, they're missing out in other areas that they, that just don't get developed in school. They don't get developed in, in, in the architectural program and, and in the engineering program for that matter. And that's why, like I said, relationships are so important. That's why communication is so important. Um, you know, kind of understanding why you're doing the things that you're doing in the first place, not just because your dad or your mom was an architect, but because, you know, you felt a calling to this industry, you felt a calling to design things that make people turn around and take a second look. And, and uh, that, that in and of itself is, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. 
And um, so I, that's why I tell, you know, design professionals, especially architects and engineers, you guys have to, you have to be excited about what you're doing and to be continually iterating um, everything that you're doing so that you're growing and you're learning more and, and taking on more responsibility. And, and, you know, and, and that really is what opens the door within your profession to just be the best version of yourself and not just kind of sit there waiting for things to happen to you because they will. But if you take the bull by the horns and go after it, I mean, it will, it will really make a difference for you in your career. It'll make a difference in how satisfied you are with, with, you know, with the work that you're doing. And it, it, at the end of the day, it will get you out of bed each morning because your why will be strong enough and you will be very clear about it. And it won't feel like you're breaking rocks at work every day. Yeah. That would not be fun. Do you, do you know, Randy, who referred you to TEDx to the committee? I do. Actually, a couple of people did. Uh, one of my former colleagues at Zweig Group, um, very, a very, uh, really just a beautiful young woman that um, uh, just really just a, a very, I mean, I, I, she was somebody that I didn't really mentor her, but uh, it was somebody that I just really, you know, was always, whenever she had a question or anything that I could share with her, I was always open to that. And I think that's important too. Somebody, somebody you built a relationship with. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> somebody that I built a relationship with. And then there were two other people because I thought originally, originally it was just her, but then the people from TEDx said, no, we actually heard your name from a couple of other people. Uh, and they didn't get into who the other people was. And I didn't really press it. It didn't matter. But the first person that was like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. okay, this is cool. Yeah. So, but the others yeah. were probably people you also built relationships with, which is exactly my point. Is that, yes. is that you, you waited for TEDx to come invite you, but the work that you've been doing while you've been waiting mm-hmm. <laughs> has been building relationships with people who ultimately came back around and referred you to the yeah. committee. And that's just one little tiny example of how that works. Oh man, it's huge. It really is. And, and I, again, I know it sounds like a lot of work and it's, you know, at some point in time, but you know, I, Mark, I, I, life is a lot of work and it's, I mean, we didn't even get, get a chance to talk about what I, what I'm working on my book on with. Yeah. I'm going to have you come back and we're going to do yeah, we'll that because I want to have that but, conversation. Yeah. Because, because but, I, but I, I just think that, you know, we, we, um, you know, you, you've got, you got to leave your mark. And I think that, that the way that you leave your mark, uh, it's, it can stand the test of time. And I, and I say that because I look at, like, I even look at just the impact that Mark Zweig has had on me. We've been friends for 23 years now. And, um, I mean, like, I mean, I remember, I remember his daughters when they were eight and 10 and now Christy is 30 one. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's crazy. You, you, you go over time, but I just, you know, I mean, people can make that kind of impact in your life if you allow it to happen. And, um, you know, we don't agree on everything, but, but, but we are, you know, he, he calls me his little brother now cause he's only 10 years older than me, but, 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 you know, I get a lot from him and, and, uh, and we, you know, we stay connected and, you know, we probably communicate or reach out to each other several times a week, even though we don't technically, technically physically work together on a regular basis but you know that to me is 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 really worth it and and he's actually turned me on to more people outside of the design industry space that I've worked with and other things that I do um and that's again all back to relationships and and it it you know you just never know where it's going to take you yeah and so i just encourage people to to take the ride you know, don't look to get off the Ferris wheel too quickly. You need to go around a couple of cycles and, and see what happens because yeah. you'll be surprised. Sometimes the view is not much, but then sometimes the view is amazing. 
amazing. And you've <laughs> got to just, you've got to take it all in and don't rush things. Uh, and that's the only thing that I see with younger people, Gen Z, they want everything right away. Um, and even some millennials for that matter. But, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I just, you know, the thing that I tell them is like, look, you just got to put some time in. You, you don't have gray hair yet. Don't rush that. Uh, but like you and I, I mean, we've seen a lot more than some others have seen. And, 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 and it doesn't mean that, you know, I think things were a lot slower for us when we were 25, 26, than, uh, than our, the, the current 25 or 26 year olds, they've got so much more to deal with. And as I look at it, cause even my wife and I, we talk about it. We're like, I'm so thankful. Actually, we didn't have social media when I was growing up that I did. We just didn't have any of that. And we were allowed to kind of grow up in a different way that these young people nowadays have to grow up differently. Yeah. So you almost have to teach them and train them differently than maybe how you were trained. Cause too often we're just like, Oh, that's not how I was raised. That's not what I would do. And yeah, yeah I get the world's that. a different place. It's a different place. And every generation is going to do things differently. Yeah. I mean, they were, they're boomers still talking about gen X. Like, you know, these guys <laughs> are crazy. And gen X is talking about millennials. Like these guys are crazy. And millennials yeah. are talking about gen Z. It's an, it's a vicious cycle and it, it just goes on and on and on. So, you know, you've got to really be mindful of that and have, have some patience and have a bit of latitude uh, to work with folks that aren't quite where you are from a thinking perspective. And I, you know, my kids are the perfect test tube for me because I have to constantly check myself and my expectations because otherwise they would just let me down every day. But, but I recognize that they're just not quite there yet. Yeah. And, and even, even the, the important thing, you know, when you look at even young design professionals, 20 to 25, even if they are book smart, even if they got top grades, they graduated cum laude, you know, especially men, um, they're still developing their, their frontal cortex and, and they're still developing their brain. I think we're, it's, it's almost like the scientists say it's, it, your, your brain really isn't fully formed into your late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so there's hope. There's hope for all, all of the young, <laughs> young people that have, you know, you constantly are looking at yourself like, how come I keep making all these mistakes and I keep doing the same thing, expecting something different to happen? It's, there's hope. There's hope for you because you're still developing. You're still building. Yes, you're super smart. Yes, you could, you know, you can do things that Cray computers couldn't do 40 years ago. But I mean, you're still developing and, and take that time and embrace the process because when, when you do get to that place, things become a lot clearer yeah. and, and, and I'm 51, you're 50. I mean, I got to tell you to be perfectly transparent, things didn't really start getting truly clear for me until I was in my late thirties, early forties. Yeah. And still, and and still know, working on it. And still working on it. Right. Like you said, I mean, you just started a, you started a, a, a big business and, and it's, it's working out, but I'm sure in the back of your mind, you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm 50. It's yeah. like, I don't yeah. you know, should I be doing this? And I'm like, you know, my answer is, is unequivocally. Yes. Yes. And there, and you know, and, and so I just think that, that there's, there's never a, a perfect time for this. And, you know, I'll, I'll end with this. I mean, Colonel Harlan Sanders failed 11 times before he, well, no, he failed 13 times before he developed those 11 herbs and spices at the age of 65 and started Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is now KFC. But the bottom line was he was 65 years old. He had so many failures, you know, when he originally had that restaurant, thought it was going to blow up. And then all of a sudden they moved the highway. And I mean, it was just, it was one thing after another. And you look at his story, you're like, man, that dude should have just given up, but he never gave up. 
he yeah. never gave up and and then he you know he rode that thing with that white suit until the day he died and, <laughs> and i mean that was it but i mean it was he was 65 years of age he didn't hit his stride until then yeah and that that's 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 i think that's the beauty of life if you don't give up you will hit your stride you just have to keep priming that pump on a daily basis. Yeah, I want to definitely have you come back, Randy, and have that conversation because, you know, the, the I am in my second phase, right? And and uh, everything that's that people will, will remember me for has yet to come. And uh, it's exciting to, yeah. to think about it that way, you know, that that everything up to this point has been a preparation for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah. And uh, and I definitely want to have that conversation with you before we wrap up here today. Um, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right now, to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, to build a better business for tomorrow, a small firm architect should really be intentional about going out. And again, the buzzword that we've used throughout this podcast is building relationships. If you are more happenstance with your relationship building, if it's just been, well, these are the clients that I was you know, introduced to a long time ago, and I've just been working with them. You need to get out of your comfort zone and go connect with some more folks and see what other people are doing. And, and, and granted right now, is a time when you can't physically go out the way that we used to, but you still, I am connecting with people on a daily basis that I've never physically met with, but I'm connecting with them virtually, just like what we discussed earlier. So I would encourage um, just small firms, small firm owners and small d design professionals to, you know, really be intentional about building some of those relationships. And I will, um, uh, I'll send you the link to the uh, relationship building um, tool that um, it's a free course that Jordan Harbinger offers. And he just, he just walks you through it. It's a couple of videos and tells you what to do. and even gives you, you know, the simple uh, phrasing and script to use in your text messages to, that as you send them out and over time, you can develop it and modify it so that it fits, fits you in your style of communication. But that's what I used for the longest time. And I had been doing something like that before he gave it structure I just didn't call it that. And, and he's just, it's more intentional as far as his, his concern. Cause he said like, you know, and he always says, you know, you want to, you want to be digging for water before you're thirsty Yeah, and, and, and it's just important to do. So, so I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot that link to you. And then that way you can, uh, you can share that. And uh, I would definitely, that would be my advice to anybody listening as far as that's concerned, just start building those relationships and making those connections, force yourself out of your comfort zone because it, that's where the real growth will happen. Yeah, we will have a link to that tool on the show notes. Randy, this has been a fantastic conversation. I always like talking with you. I always finish up so motivated and inspired. Uh, so I appreciate you for coming by here. Randy Wilburn, encouragebuildgrow.com. You can connect with him there. Go there right now and go say thanks for sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. He's a great blog, great podcast. You can go subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Randy Wilburn, thank you for joining me here today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Man, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate you. I appreciate your audience. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man, because it's, uh, it's great and it's needed. You're listening to episode 375 of the Entree Architect Podcast. Access the show notes or share this episode with a friend. The link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 375. 
Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. Have you gone to gablemedia.com and listened to all the shows? Have you subscribed to all the shows, podcasts, video channels? They're all there. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Think about it. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership right now. Ready to edit business resources. It's there waiting for you. Live monthly training. Yep, every month we have a live uh, monthly training webinar. A supportive architect community on Slack. Yep, it's there. Hundreds of architects in there. And Simple Systems, our business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects. I know you don't have time to build systems. We're building them for you. They're free inside the membership. It's all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. You should be in there. Our next expert training session will be with Bolanle williams Ali, CFO of Mancini Duffy, teaching on cash flow systems for architects, the foundation of finance. If you understand cash flow, you will be so much further along. Don't miss this training by the chief financial officer of one of the most innovative architecture firms in the nation, Mancini Duffy. This Entree Architect expert training session is scheduled for June 2nd, 2021. It's free for members. Anybody who's a member, if you join us and you will be invited uh, to to be part of this expert training session, it's included with your membership at Entree Architect Academy. And when you're a member, you also have access to all the past training sessions as well at the at the expert training archive inside the Entree Architect Academy. We now have well over 60, I don't know, close to 70 one-hour sessions covering just about every topic that you could possibly think of needed for building a better business. It's all there inside the Entree Architect Academy membership. So come join us. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join. It is probably the best investment you can make in your success as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll. Be well, my friends. Be happy, healthy, safe, and secure. Thanks for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges. 
demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.